0: This is a special notice to all our lovely listeners out there. We are currently updating our records. Please could you contact Diane De Jersey on oh seven eight nine nine eight five four five eight two. That's oh seven eight nine nine eight five four five eight two to confirm your latest contact information, even if it has not changed. We wouldn't want you to miss out on any of our future recordings, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.
1: Hello, this is Alistair, welcoming you to the 2360th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper. Dateline, 28th of September, 2023. The readers this week are me, Alistair, Jackie and Chris, with Ian on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock polka, composed by Pat Prilly, uh, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brewer and it is performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. For the week beginning the 25th of September, the sunrise is 0650 and the sunset is 1852. We also have some special notices. Firstly, from the Enfield Home Library Service. Did you know that Enfield has a home library service? This means that if mobility, disability or caring responsibilities make it difficult for you to visit the library, then we can bring the library to you, and there is no charge. The home library is run in conjunction with the Royal Voluntary Service, who vet and manage our volunteers, You tell us the sort of thing you like to read and we will select books for you and deliver them to your home once every four weeks. As well as ordinary print titles, we have audiobooks on CDs and large print titles. There are also a limited number available in different languages. Separately, the Enfield Home Library Service offers assistance with digital library content so we can help you get to grips with borrowing e-books or audio books from the library to read or listen to on a phone or tablet. For more information or to see if you can sign up for this service, email enfield.hls at royalvoluntaryservice.org.uk or call Shauna Thieven on 07826. And now notice from Enfield Vision. We are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with a specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bush Hill Park, Enfield. Our uh, exercise classes are now running again here are the dates for the next, uh, drop-in meetings. Thursday, the 19th of October, 2023 and Thursday, the 16th of November, 2023. For further information, please contact us on 020-8373-6260 or email information at uk. And here is a note from the Enfield Vision regarding the October drop-in. On Thursday the 19th of October, Enfield Vision is holding a focus day at Community House, 311 4th Street, N90PZ, from 10am until 2pm. This means there will be no drop-in morning on Thursday the 19th of October at the Park Avenue Centre. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane De Jersey on 7899 854 She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Jackie will read the lead story.
0: Thank you, Alistair. And hello to you all. Our first story is called Empowering Enfield's Young Voices. Victoria Thompson introduces a new social enterprise aiming to give young people the confidence to shape their local environment. A remarkable not-for-profit organisation has burst onto the scene, driven by three unwavering commitments of passionate Enfield residents, Jackie Glover, Joseph Agar and myself. Youth Made Place, CIC, is a trailblazing initiative aiming to empower young people with the ability to shape their environments. I decided to establish the organisation after my experience as an urban design professional and as a design and technology teacher spanning 14 years propelled me to address the pervading lack of meaningful engagement with young minds. We are embarking on a mission to revolutionise the way young people are involved in decision-making process that impacts their their environmental and communities. As its founder, I was determined to create a platform where the voices of youth could be heard, valued and seamlessly integrated into the fabric of their surroundings. Fueled by a deep-seated disappointment resulting from the absence of genuine engagement with young individuals, I recognized the immense potential for transformative change. I witnessed firsthand the missed opportunities in planning processes, where the perspectives and insights of young people were often not being achieved. As a design and technology teacher, I knew that voices held immense value and had the power to shape environments in innovative and impactful ways. Youth Made Place represents a groundbreaking endeavour, firmly rooted in the belief that empowering young minds and involving them in co-design, consultation and engagement, processes will pave the way for inclusive, vibrant and sustainable communities. Through workshops, interactive sessions and design chariots, Youth Made Place provides a platform for young people to actively participate in shaping and building their environment. By involving young minds in the decision-making process, Youth Made Place cultivates a sense of ownership, pride and civic responsibility, instilling in them the belief that their opinions matter and our ideas can shape the world around them. With our blend of urban design and planning expertise and educational acumen, Youth Made Place envisions a future where the voices of young individuals resonate throughout the planning and design decisions. By empowering them to influence the environments of tomorrow, we are seeking to create a legacy of inclusive spaces that celebrate diversity, spark innovation and nurture a sense of belonging within communities. As Youth Made Place gains momentum, we are inviting schools, colleges and youth groups in Enfield to join forces in the transformative mission. Together we can empower young voices Elevate community engagement and shape a brighter future for all. Let's unite in harnessing the potential of our young people and build a world where their dreams become reality.
2: All trains through Enfield cancelled on latest rail strike dates. Both Great Northern and Greater Anglia cancel all trains on routes through Enfield this Saturday and next Wednesday. No national rail trains will stop at all in Enfield on two upcoming days of industrial action. This Saturday, 30th of September, and next Wednesday, 4th of October, sees train drivers belonging to the Aslef trade union staging a walkout in the latest industrial action of a long-running dispute over pay. As a result. Greater Northern and Greater Anglia have cancelled all services on their routes through Enfield on both of these days, with services also impacted on days before and after these strike dates. It means that on Saturday and Wednesday, no trains will be stopping on the Great Northern operated Hartford Loop line stations at Palmer's Green, Winchmore Hill, Grange Park Enfield Chase, Gordon Hill and Cruise Hill. On the Great Northern operated East Coast mainline stations at New Southgate and Hadley Wood. Nor on the Greater Anglia operated West Anglia mainline stations at Meridian Water, Ponder's End, Brimstown and Enfield Lock. London Overground Services at Edmonton Green Silver Street, Bushill Park, Enfield Town, Southbury, and Turkey Street stations will still be running, but are expected to be very busy. On each morning following strike action, namely Sunday first of October, and Thursday fifth of October, services will start up later than usual. Additionally, an overtime ban by ASLEF will mean amended timetables with fewer trains on Friday 29th of September and on Monday 2nd, Tuesday 3rd, Thursday 5th and Friday 6th of October. Explaining the reason for the latest industrial action, Aslef's General Secretary Mick Whelan said, while we regret having to take this action, we don't want to lose a day's pay or disrupt passengers as they try to travel by train? The government and the employers have forced us into this position. Our members have not, now, had a pay rise for four years, since 2019. And that's not right when prices have soared in that time. Train drivers, perfectly reasonably, want to be able to buy now what they could four years ago. Jenny Saunders, Customer Service Director for Great Northern's parent Govia-Thameslink Railway, said, We know how difficult this ongoing national industrial action is for our customers, and we're really sorry for the continued inconvenience it's causing. Jamie Burles, Greater Anglia's Managing Director, said, Unfortunately, on the strike days, on thirtieth September and fourth of October, on most Greater Anglia routes, no services will run at all. We are sorry for any inconvenience caused by these service alterations, and advise customers to plan ahead
1: and check before they travel. Rediscovering Enfield's Lost Royal Palace. Judith Stones from Enfield Archaeological Society on the progress made this year in uncovering more of Elsinge Palace's secrets. You wouldn't know to look at it, but in what are now the grounds of Forty Hall Estate in the north of Enfield was once a palace owned by Henry VIII and where Elizabeth I spent some of her childhood. Elsinge or Enfield House, as it was also known, was a large moated palace with royal apartments, large kitchens, a great hall for feasting and an attached service court full of barns, stables and accommodation for at least 100 servants. Elsinore Palace would have literally been fit for a king or future queen and Henry had visited many times with his father, Henry VII when it was owned by Sir Thomas Lovell, one of the most important figures in early Tudor government. One of Elsinore's big attractions was its access to the royal hunting forest of Enfield Chase, and in 1539 Henry acquired it as one of his many palaces. Both the future Edward VI and Elizabeth I also lived in Elsinge at times. Indeed, Edward was even told he was king there after the death of his father in 1547. However, by 1600, the palace fell out of royal favour and was demolished in around 1657 by its new owner, Nicholas Reinton of Faulty Hall. The buried remains of the palace were rediscovered by Enfield Archaeological Society, EAS, in the 1960s, and for the past two decades, our community-based team has gradually been excavating parts of the large complex. The site is so historically important to have been scheduled as an ancient monument, meaning government permission is required for every excavation, and there are also strict laws restricting activities such as metal detecting. Having previously worked out the plan of most of the palace and excavated one whole wing of the service buildings, including a huge furnace which fired a vat for boiling large joints of meat, in July this year we started to examine a key part of the site, known as the Inner Gatehouse. Fronted by an impressive moat many metres wide, which will have been crossed by a bridge, this was a four-storey building that restricted access between the service court and the inner court where the royal apartments lay. Recent excavations have shown that the foundations of the Energate House survive surprisingly intact, allowing archaeologists to reconstruct the grandeur of a building that may have been built as early as 1430 by the palace's first owners, the Tiptoft family. Though excavations are at a fairly early stage and may continue annually for some years, already sections of very early brick walls, then terribly prestigious, are suggesting just how large the gatehouse was. We have uncovered the upper levels of a cellar whose roof was supported by massive brick built, probably eight-sided columns. Among the debris backfilling the cellar, there are also clues to what the upper storeys would have been like, such as high-quality carved stonework from its grand fireplaces, because the gatehouse didn't just control access to the private royal quarters. It was also where some of the chief members of the royal court would live when the king or queen were using the palace. One of the questions archaeologists are trying to answer is how much Successive owners, including the king, elaborated the gatehouse even further, and the significant discovery has been freestanding walls running off one side of it. These very skillfully and solidly uh, built brick walls again feature the basis for octagonal columns at intervals along them, and as they approach the gatehouse itself, have an ornamental turret projecting from them. Following generous grants from Enfield Council's Stories of Engle- Enfield project, supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the Enfield Society, EAS has published two new books about Elsinch Palace. Monarchs, Courtiers and Technocrats, Elsinch Palace Enfield, Place and People. Written by Martin Dern. Details archaeological discoveries since the 1960s, with research into the extraordinary range of available historical sources, while Neil and John Pinchbeck's Elsinge, Enfield's Lost Palace Revealed, takes a more condensed and popular approach to the story. Both books are available from enfarchsock.org, with the second also on sale at Fawlty Hall's gift shop and at the Dugdale Centre in Enfield Town. The EAS website includes a short film about the 2022 excavations created by Footpath Films. And make sure you look out for an episode of Digging for Britain on BBC2 early in 2024 featuring this year's excavations.
0: Time to tackle overgrown trees. Residents claim they are a fire hazard. A Forty Hill resident says overgrown trees are blocking light from his windows and causing a fire safety hazard, but Enfield Council is refusing to tackle the issue. John Woods, who lives in Chimney's Lodge, says the trees on council-owned land, but the authority has failed to cut them back, meaning more than 70% of natural light has been blocked out. He says the space behind the trees has been used as a toilet and rubbish dump with human faeces, empty vodka bottles and nitrous oxide canisters recently found there, and he fears the dead wood inside the trees could cause a huge fire if someone throws a cigarette butt inside. Mr Woods said, I pay my council tax and have ever done and I've done ever since I started work. The council have a tree reporting service. I've reported it to them three or four times, but you get little or no reply. The last time they said it had been passed to the parks division and we consider the case closed. I contacted the parks, decision, sorry, I contacted the parks division and I just got no reply from them. It feels like a bit of an insult. We all have to pay council tax and expect service for that payment. I can cut back as much as I can behind the fence, but it's not getting to the root of the problem. Mr Wood said the trees also covered half the public walkway that runs across the green in front of his block of flats. He said there are masses of dead wood inside the core of those trees. If someone were to chuck a cigarette, the whole thing would go up. John says the council was failing to get to grips with other maintenance issues and suggested standards had dropped since the COVID pandemic. He said tall weeds had been left covering the outside of his fence, but the caretaker of the flats removed them when he painted it. He said the green in front of the flats was covered with chest-high weeds and grass and nettles for most of the summer until it was finally cut back a few weeks ago. Before COVID, all this was beautiful, he said. They used to keep the grass nice and short, but it seems they can get away with it if they are not doing it. Enfield Council has been approached for comment.
2: All Hands On Tech, a new facility will be used for teaching elderly people to use modern technology. Ruth Winston Community Centre in Palmer's Green has celebrated the opening of a new computer and smartphone training suite. Enfield Mayor Suna Herman cut ribbon on the new facility, which will be used to show the older generation how to make the most out of the internet, smartphones and emails. Maria Ortiz Vega, the centre manager, said, We are conscious that a large proportion of our older community are currently unable to use essential services such as from doctors or the council, which are delivered online. The Ruth Winston Community Centre in Green Lanes made a successful application to Enfield Council's Neighbourhood Fund to upgrade the computer equipment at the centre and enable a bright and relaxed computer training suite for up to eight people. The aim is to build people's confidence using technology over a period of time. The Beginner's Course Starts with how to turn the computer on. And more advanced courses show how to use digital services from the government, the council, or to simply buy some shopping or a train ticket. Maria added, it's vital for us to continue supporting digital inclusion among the elderly. The cost of living crisis means that digital literacy is more important than ever in managing finances, shopping, cost-effectively accessing services and combating isolation among the older community. If you know someone who might benefit from the classes, get in touch with Maria. Call 0208 That all sounds very useful.
1: Charity appeals for help to continue offering weekly cooked meals. Cooking champions need to raise £2,600 to be able to host its community kitchen for another three months. An infield charity is appealing for help to raise £2,600 so it can continue to offer a weekly community kitchen offering free hot meals. Cooking Champions runs the community meals service from a church hall in Ponder's End and says it had been regularly feeding 90 people between December 2022 and July this year, but had to pause the service when it ran out of money. Each week features a different menu, celebrating different worldwide cuisines and making use of redistributed food from the Felix Project, which has a distribution centre in Enfield. If any food is left over, guests are given meals to take home. The service is free to access, ensuring everyone in the community can benefit if they are in need of a hot meal, including those affected by social isolations financial difficulties, homelessness, domestic violence and physical and mental health issues. However, each session costs £240 to run. In an appeal via social media, Cooking Champions founder Claire Donovan said, We were initially funded by grants, but these have run out, and we need to raise some funds desperately to continue this service on a consistent basis. We need £2,600 to keep us running for three months. This will achieve a safe, warm and friendly place over the winter months. It gets colder and everyone needs a place to go. You can help in any way. We would be extremely grateful. It would make a world of difference. The Cooking Champions appeal via GoFundMe has so far raised 1000 Seven hundred and twenty-five of their two thousand six hundred pound target.
0: Local artists offered chance of free Palmer's Green studio residency. Council partnership with R B at Studios in Green Lanes is offering three months of free workspace for artists. An art studio is offering a dedicated workspace in Palmer's Green for local artists as part of an Enfield Council programme of support for creatives and businesses in the area. Run by RBit Studios in partnership with the Council, the residency will offer a rolling three-month studio space for artists based in Enfield to work on their practice alongside developing a piece of work that responds to a localised theme. The theme of the first residency, High Street Happenings, celebrates Green Lanes and its place in the community. The finished work will be exhibited either at RBIT Studios at 310C Green Lanes or on the High Street. Cinello Anyamwa, m Council's Cabinet Member for Public Spaces, Culture and Local Economy said, We are looking to inspire creativity connect communities, and embrace ideas to rejuvenate the high street and invest in local talent. We are determined to deliver creative spaces and support artistic industries in all of Enfield's town centres. Our BH Studios aims to transform empty units in London into studio spaces for artists, designers, makers, startups, and small businesses to inspire creativity, connect communities and power ideas. It has been working with both the council and community groups, Palmer's Green Action Team, on the wider aspect of the creative and community programme, which will include a local makers' market, support Devonshire Square's monthly markets, a creative programme of workshops and events tailored for local artists, and space and support for residents, grassroots groups and organisations looking to run and create events. Nimrod Vardy, co-director at RB it said we are incredibly excited to get cracking with our plans and projects for our new space in Palmer's Green. We've already had such a warm welcome from the community, creatives and businesses and are looking forward to developing more connections so that we can best support the fantastic skills and talent here in Palmer's Green. The next community market at Devonshire Square, a community space launched last year, will be held on the 14th of October." from 10am to 4pm, led by Palmer's Green Action Team, alongside a well-being weekend at RBIT Studios on the 14th and 15th of October. Enfield artists who would like to apply for the second round of Arbeet's Artist Residency programme from October to January should apply by the 15th of October via the ArBet website.
2: Celebrating all things Apple by Annabel Rutherford. The community orchard in Broomfield Park is charming. Visiting it feels like I've stepped into a Kate Greenaway illustration. A lot of thought has clearly gone into creating this space. Situated on the park's former upper bowling green, the orchard is beautifully laid out in a wildflower meadow with two diagonal avenues of apple trees dwarf stepovers and espaliers along the sides. A particularly nice feature is an apple tree, a Hertfordshire beefing, encircled by a wooden tree seat. Another is a group of beehives. Aside from the slight hummer traffic from Alderman's Hill, it could be in the countryside. The orchard owes its existence to David March, co-chair of the Friends of Broomfield Park who I arranged to meet and talk about the Orchard's Apple Day event. In 2009, he spotted an opportunity in a neglected patch of land and approached Enfield Council with the idea of creating an orchard. Fourteen years later, and a lot of hard work by volunteers later, and the orchard is well established. It looks like it has always been part of the landscape. There are 47 different varieties of apples grown there, plus quince, pear, medlar and mulberry. One of the books that David read when planning the orchard was The Community Orchards Handbook, published by Common Ground, an environmental charity. According to David, Common Ground were pioneers of the concept of local distinctiveness, creating and saving community orchards. They also came up with the idea of holding Apple Days, a popular annual celebration which highlights the heritage of apples and their importance in our culture and community. The handbook charts how, since 1900, the United Kingdom has lost most of its orchards, grubbed up to make way for housing and arable farming. As a result... Many apple and other fruit trees, unique to certain parts of the country, have disappeared, along with the distinctive landscape created by orchards and their biodiversity. There are other consequences. Knowledge about fruit growing is no longer commonplace. Communities do not come together to harvest locally grown food. And orchard customs, such as wassailing, are harder to keep alive. Apple Day is a chance for people to reconnect with part of our horticultural history and gives, powers an opportunity, gives growers an opportunity to showcase some of the thousands of varieties grown in the UK. Sadly, most of us only ever taste the limited range of apples in supermarkets because many simply do not store and travel well. This year's Broomfield Park Apple Day has passed, but there will be one next year, and hopefully there will be live music, refreshments and home baking, and pots of the orchard's honey for sale. Broomfield Wassell will take place in January, when we'll wake up the trees after the winter, thank them for last year's harvest, and drive away evil spirits. Sounds grand take her scarf with you.
1: Enfield eye patients face trek to edge wear for operations. Regional NHS commissioning body wants to create single hub for eye surgery in North London, reports Simon Allen, local democracy reporter. Patients needing eye surgery in Barnet, Enfield, Haringey and Islington could have their procedures carried out at a single site in Edgware under new proposals. NHS North Central London Integrated Care Board, ncl a regional health commissioning body, is considering creating a hub for eye surgery at Edgware Community Hospital to treat common conditions like cataracts. If the plans go ahead... All eye surgery, currently provided at Whittington Hospital and Archway, plus some activity from Raw Free Hospital in Camden and Chase Farm Hospital in Enfield, will instead be carried out at Edgware. A small number of complex eye surgeries and procedures that need to be carried out at the same site as other specialities would remain at Chase Farm Hospital and Raw Free Hospital. Although some residents would face longer journeys, the NCL-ICB says the changes would enable it to carry out around 3,000 extra eye surgery procedures a year and reduce waiting times for some patients by up to four weeks. It says waiting lists have continued to grow following the COVID-19 pandemic, despite its efforts to reduce the backlog. And this can lead to people... Needing more complex care. NCLICB says patients would also benefit from the shared expertise and experience of clinical teams working together, with more efficient working practices likely to mean fewer last minute delays and cancellations. Tests and outpatient appointments would still be delivered at patients' local or preferred hospital. And they could continue to choose which NHS provider they are referred to for care. Existing planned eye surgery services would continue at North Middlesex University Hospital in Edmonton, the Moorfield sites, City Road campus, Sedans Hospital in Tottenham and Potters Bar Community Hospital and independent sector providers contracted to provide services for the NHS. A consultation on the proposals has now been launched and will run until the 16th of October.
0: Third Enfield School confirms rack found on site. A third Enfield School has confirmed that an unsafe type of concrete has been found on its site. Arc John Keats Academy in Bell Lane Enfield Wash has joined St Ignatius College in Bulls Cross and Winchmore School in Winchmore Hill. As having identified reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete rack on their sites. John Keats' pupil, principal, Katie Marshall, said unfortunately there are rack panels in the sports hall walls. These are considered extremely ro- low risk, but we are following guidance from the Department of Education and keeping the sports hall out of use. The school continues to work closely with the DfE and explains to plan and experts to plan for the reopening of the sports hall as soon as possible. In the interim, lessons will continue to be taught outside or in alternative spaces. We are grateful for our school's community support and hope for a quick resolution. RAC was used in the construction of schools and other public buildings from the 1950s to the 1990s, but only has a lifespan of around 30 years.
2: Greenbelt Homes Given Approval Council agrees scheme despite concerns. Plans to build 58 affordable homes on Greenbelt land in Clay Hill have been approved in principle. Outline proposals for the development at Anglo Aquatic Plant – a wholesale supplier of pond plants, located at 30-32 to Strayfield Road, were approved by Enfield Council's planning committee last Tuesday. Existing units will be demolished to make way for the scheme, which will also provide refurbished office space. Half of the affordable homes will be for social rent, with the remaining half classed as intermediate housing. The plans were opposed by several local groups over their impact on the Green Belt, road safety fears and other concerns, with the Enfield Society, Cruise Hill Residents Association, Enfield Road Watch and the Environment Forum among those who objected. But Civic Centre chiefs claimed the proposed affordable homes, community allotments, biodiversity enhancement and other factors constituted very special circumstances that provide an exemption to the prohibition of building on the Greenbelt under national and local policies. Resident Daniel Ishak told the committee he felt the safety aspects of the proposal had been totally ignored, pointing out that the scheme would lead to an increase in road traffic he warned there is not a single pavement on Strayfield Road and there could be accidents as people access a proposed bus stop near the development. Hannah Dyson, Conservative Ward councillor for Whitewebs, echoed these concerns and warned over the impact of 300 more people on a part of Enfield that already has traffic and infrastructure issues. Mike Hoyland the council's senior transport manager, said road safety had been considered in quite a lot of detail, with officers requesting a footpath, give way signs, lighting and other measures. Officers also pointed out that the developer would make financial contributions to local health and education provision to reduce the scheme's impact. Apart from the access arrangements, all other detailed design aspects of the scheme will be considered by the committee at a later stage. The application will now be referred to the Greater London Authority.
1: A letter here about global poverty. I am writing to draw your attention to the global, po- global poverty crisis and how we can all get involved. As an ambassador of the Borgen Project, I support global efforts to eradicate poverty and advance sustainable development, emphasising the significant contribution of official development assistance. In 2020, nearly 9% of the global population were estimated to be living in extreme poverty. This statistic has worsened over the last few years considering the outbreak of COVID-19, China's deflationary spiral, and increasing geopolitical tensions in Ukraine. How does this relate to us? Well, the UK government needs to be doing a lot more. For example, following India's outstanding rocket landing, there were calls for India to return the £2.3 billion of foreign aid gifted by the UK government. However, the UK has not provided any foreign aid to India since 2015 and foreign aid cannot ethically be considered a financial loan. That would be as ridiculous as asking your child to return his Christmas presents upon gaining employment. To achieve long-term poverty reduction, the UK government should increase ODA commitment, empower women, advance inclusive education and fund sustainable agriculture. Collaborating internationally and focusing on key issues can boost capacity and foster good governance. Despite how much is going on in our local political sphere, it is important for us here in the UK to look outwardly and uphold our moral duty to take care of fellow human beings around the world. I commend MP Gareth Thomas for his efforts in our community, but I implore him to devote greater time and energy into promoting ODA contributions in Parliament. As a constituent, please get involved and help me in my quest to turn our leaders' attention to global poverty. Sheil Chandarana Harrow Borgan Project Ambassador.
0: Heart Help. My name is Isabel Kidder, and I work at the British Heart Foundation. I am getting in touch about a project that we are currently working on in Enfield, which is offering free emergency first aid awareness sessions until mid-October 2023. Enfield is one of just two areas in England that has been selected to take part in the Heart Safe Communities pilot project run by the British Heart Foundation, St John's Ambulance and Resuscitation Council UK. This project is focused on helping communities become more resilient so that when an out of hospital cardiac arrest occurs, there is an increased chance of survival as 8 out of 10 cardiac arrests happen in the home and currently the survival rate is less than 1 in 10. As part of this pilot, we are calling on Enfield community organisations, schools, businesses, neighbourhood teams and residents to get involved through learning CPR and helping us to locate existing defibrillators in the area. This is a great opportunity to learn basic first aid skills at no cost. Please register your Interest for a free first aid awareness session by clicking on the link below. We are offering a face-to-face session and virtual sessions to suit your group's needs. The face-to-face sessions would take place at the group's venue, and the virtual sessions take place, place via Microsoft Teams. Both would be delivered by St John's Ambulance volunteers. To register, email kidder i that's k i d d e r i at bhf.org.uk.
2: Why we must protect Enfield's countryside. Conservative councillor Joanne Laban argues against plans to build on Ridgeway Ward's green belt. Having served on Enfield Council since 2010, I was elected to represent the newly created ward of Ridgeway At the local election in 2022. I am grateful to all those who voted for me. In my opinion, Ridgeway's ward is the jewel in Enfield's crown, containing areas of both town and countryside. It stretches the length of the Ridgeway from the western side of Enfield town all the way up to the border with Potter's Bar. Unfortunately, its beautiful landscape is under threat from Enfield's Labour administration. The future of Enfield's Greenbelt is in doubt because of the Labour run Council's draft local plan, which identified Vicarage Farm, located between Hadley Road and Trentwood Side, for large scale housing development in 2021. That year's consultation on the draft local plan showed there was mass opposition to the proposals to build on Vicarage Farm. However, the Labour Council has ignored the views of residents and refused to drop the proposals. The The plan remains very much on the table as things stand. I know that there will be some readers thinking that Vicarage Farm should be built on because of the need for housing. However, I would argue that Meridian Water, Enfield's flagship regeneration programme, has been planned for more than 13 years, while only a small area of the overall site has so far commenced construction. Why should our countryside be built on due to failures by successive Labour administrations? What I would like to see is the council visibly putting as much passion and energy in getting industrial areas declassified for residential development as it does for changing the status of Vicarage Farm? If development happened on the industrial estates, it would bring investment into some of our borough's most deprived areas. These areas would thrive given their excellent rail links into central London. During the pandemic, Vicarage Farm and other areas of the Greenbelt were used for people's daily exercise. It highlighted how lucky we are to have open spaces such as Vicarage Farm. Air quality has recently been in the news due to the London Mayor's expansion of the ultra-low emission zone, which I oppose – One of the reasons Outer London has better air quality than Inner London is due to its parks, open spaces and countryside. If we build on the Greenbelt, we would be destroying important environmental infrastructure. All three Ridgeway councillors want to reassure residents that we know how important this issue is for our community. Enfield is a lovely place to live, because of its mix of town and countryside, we will continue to oppose any plans to build on Vicarage Farm and the Green Belt. Joanne Laban is one of three councillors representing Ridgeway Ward, alongside Edward Smith and Andrew Thorpe. To get in touch, call 0208 351 1370.
1: Enfield's homeless sent by council to live in Manchester and Leeds as crisis continues. U-turn by Enfield council in June sees 12 local families moved outside the southeast of England so far, reports Simon Allen, a local democracy reporter. Homeless families from Enfield have been sent to live in far-flung places, including Leeds and Manchester, since a major housing policy U-turn. But the council is still struggling to compete with other boroughs for available homes. Council bosses have admitted that the authority's new policy of relocating people outside London and the South East seen as a way of closing a £20 million budget black hole on temporary housing, is proving more expensive than moving them within the capital. However, the gross cost to the Council of housing families within London is ultimately likely to be higher because they would spend longer in hotel accommodation waiting to be housed. It comes as the authority takes a more hard-line approach to housing homeless families, which would see it decide to make only one housing offer in future rather than the current two before discharging its legal duty to house them. Faced with an acute housing shortage and a collapsing private rental sector, senior councillors agreed the policy shift to moving families away from London and the South East in June. The new policy is designed to reduce the use of bed-and-breakfast B&B types of temporary accommodation, such as hotels, which is expensive for the council and inappropriate for families. While B&Bs are deemed a last resort, they have increasingly been relied on as precious mount, with hundreds in Enfield being housed in them this year. Council reports reveal that since June 12 Enfield households had been moved outside London and the South East to cities including Leeds and Manchester. Speaking during a meeting of the Council Housing Scrutiny Panel on Tuesday, the 26th, Housing Improvement Director Dwayne Dyer said navigating the new market had been a challenge and that following the policy change, most placements had continued to be made in London. Those who moved outside the capital had mostly done so voluntarily, he added. Duane explained that Enfield had been competing with Manchester and Birmingham as well as other London boroughs for available homes. A pan-London agreement to keep rent levels low in the capital did not apply elsewhere, meaning local authorities with more money than Enfield were able to pay over the odds for properties. During the last three months, Duane said, The cost of moving a household within London was 4,333, compared to 5,162 outside London. He added, we are still going to be doing more targeted work to get into the air arena outside of London, but it is a new space for us, and other local authorities within London have been doing this for some five years. Joanne Drew the Council's Director of Housing and Regeneration, said the gross cost to the Council of moving homeless families within London was likely to be higher because they would spend longer in hotel accommodation, which costs around £100 per night, waiting to be housed. The Council has secured a £1 million grant from the government to help residents relocate, and a total of £30,000 has so far been provided for the 12 households. Duane revealed the longest time a family had spent in B&B accommodation provided by the council was one year, while the average stay was 164 days. He told the panel that the council would still be fulfilling its statutory duty to homeless people if it made one offer of housing instead of two. Some people were refusing homes of a reasonable standard, he added, meaning the council was spending money on empty properties. Under questioning from the panel, Duane suggested that changing the policy to one offer could save the council more than £12,000 per household. He said people's expectations about properties sometimes needs to be managed, as their grounds for rejecting housing offers, for example, the properties. Do not have a garden or are not near a park are not reasonable. The council is currently enforcing its two-offer policy more robustly. Our policy is our policy, Duane explained. We are going to enforce our policy hard-line. I think the weakness is that we have not been as hard-line as we should have been. He said the council had been very supportive to homeless people but could not continue to be as supportive because it will bankrupt us. Joanne told the panel that double the number of landlords were leaving the market than were joining and that the reduction in rental accommodation, particularly for those on low incomes, was likely to be a long-term change. The Council is also tackling the crisis by offering incentive payments for landlords, purchasing properties in Luton and Milton Keynes, through council-owned company Housing Gateway Limited, to offer us affordable rented homes and encouraging people to find their own home using a dedicated scheme. Earlier this month, senior councillors agreed to spend £330,000 on studies to test the feasibility of building modular homes on car parks and other sites within the borough to boost the supply of temporary accommodation. George Savva The council's cabinet member for social housing says that despite the worsening crisis, the council was not giving up and would strive to house every homeless person, pointing out that hotel accommodation was no good for the families, no good for children, and no good for our financial situation. Well, we've reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of Alistair, Jackie and Chris and Ian on the controls, it's goodbye for now. Bye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can also now listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favorite podcast app, or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying Play Podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diana Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 078-99-854-582. The MPL talking newspaper will be with you again in one week's time.